Hi, good evening. I'm Dr. Ron Kraft, the president of Napa Valley College. Glad you're here. As you can see on your programs, I have 40 seconds left of my intro. So I'm just welcoming you to, uh, to Napa Valley College. It's a delight. This is an important topic, one that's high on the uh, mind of community college and I think all across the United States. And one of our uh, great alums is here tonight. Uh, without uh, m much ado, let me just give you to uh, Congressman Mike Thompson. Thanks, Ron. Well, Mr. President, thank you very much for the introduction, and thank you and to the board members for opening up the uh, little theater for us today. Uh, this is an issue, college affordability, that is extremely important to not only to me, but to all of us who are here tonight and to our country. Uh, it's important to our economy. It's important to the future of our students and the future of our country. So uh, I don't have to sing the virtues of higher education to all of you because you came out tonight uh, to find out how to make it more uh, more affordable so you know how important it is and thank you very very much for being here. Uh, the a rising cost of a college education is extremely uh, an extremely vexing uh, issue for all of us. Uh, too many people have had to take on uh, historically high rates of debt in order to uh, finance their education their children's uh, education, and clearly we need to do all we can to bring the costs down uh, to a more affordable rate. Uh, but until that happens, or while that's happening, we need to make sure that everybody understands all of the avenues before them uh, in regard to affordable education, how to make it work. And uh, that's what tonight is about. And we're very, very fortunate to have some very smart people here who are going to help us navigate that. And I'd like to introduce them to you. Uh, from the U.S. Department of Education, Joe Barrison and Renee Bellato. Uh, Patty Morgan from Napa Valley College Financial uh, Aid Office. Uh, Howard Willis, uh, Student Support Services from TRIO. Howard is right down here in the front row. And uh, Annie Petrie from Napa High School. And we're going to go in that order, correct? So... Thank you again for being here. Thank you, panelists, for uh, sharing your evening with us. And we all look forward to hearing what you have to say. And then we'll go to questions and answers. And I'll, I'll tell you now, uh, if we aren't able to uh, answer your question or you want to uh, uh, follow up on what was said tonight, all the power PowerPoints that you'll see tonight will be posted so you'll be able to go back to those. So without further ado, U.S. Department of Education. Thank you very much for coming here this evening. Um, I work uh, in the communications and outreach office for the U.S. Department of Education locally down the road in San Francisco. And um, I get to uh, work today with a colleague in our federal agency, Renee, who's going to speak with you in just a couple of minutes. Um, and I wanted to say, first of all, that um, this putting together an event like this is a lot harder than it looks. And you show up, you walk in, and we have an event. But in fact, uh, Congressman, his district office, led by, by Myra, uh, did an incredible job to make this happen. I know they've been working hard for weeks and weeks, and there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes to make it happen. So I wanted to acknowledge that all the work that goes into an event like this. Um, what I'd like to do, first of all, is tell you 
a little bit of an overview for a moment to kind of give some perspective to why the heck is the U.S. Department of Education taking part here. And the federal government is involved because education matters and you're going to college matters. And it matters in many ways. But just to start with, it matters on a human level. Um, as a country, again, we're the U.S. Department of Education, of course, so we're not the same as the California Department of Ed. Uh, under President Obama, U.S. Education Secretary Arne Duncan is looking at the whole country. And it matters on a human level because uh, we believe, and it's also my personal opinion, that ethically, morally, we all as a people have an obligation to teach children and grandchildren and other generations what we've learned. And uh, college is a big, big part of that. It matters on an economic level because uh, statistically, if you get a college degree, you will earn about $1 million more in your working career than if you didn't get that degree. So it matters economically. On the flip side, if you don't go to college, you're more likely to struggle financially, and there are a lot of people who try really hard, they've done nothing wrong, and just through bad times, they need help from the rest of us, but still, there is an economic price to pay as a nation if we don't have the highest number of, of college graduates. National security. It used to be, when I was in high school, that if you couldn't get a job and you didn't want to go to college, you could always join the Army or join the Marines or the Air Force and have a job. It doesn't work that way anymore. Uh, the Pentagon has had to reject a lot of young men and women in the last several years who wanted to enlist for several reasons. Sometimes it's health. Sometimes it's obesity. A lot of times it's because they can't read or write. And we have a high-tech military. And as a nation, we are protected by men and women who are college graduates and have gone on even beyond college to master's degrees and know the technology that keeps us safe. U.S. Department of Education can point at pockets of success, point to programs that do well, can recognize good schools, good teachers, good programs, and also we have a very large financial aid program. Grants are something you get if you meet the criteria, the eligibility, and you don't have to pay back. Uh, financial aid in the form of loans, of course, you do pay back. There's over $150 billion available in federal aid to help you pay for college. Federal grants include some names that I know many of you have already heard. Pell, Teach, FSEOG, special uh, programs if you're uh, the child of somebody who served in Iraq or Afghanistan. And now I'd like to um, turn it over, uh, the presentation, to my colleague who works in federal student aid in San Francisco, and that's the part of the Department of Education that focuses as a specialty on federal student aid, Renee Galato. Okay. How's everyone doing? All right. Well, thanks for coming out tonight. It's a great event. It's always fun to learn more about this stuff. And we will have a, a question and answer session at the end. So if there's something that you want to know more about or if you want to talk to one of us one-on-one -on -one afterwards, we're definitely more than happy to help.
So as Joe said, there are the different federal programs. These are the grant programs. This is the free money. This is what we all want. We all want the free money. So we're going to go into a little, just a tiny bit more detail on each of these. And then uh, depending on what school, most of you are Napa Valley students or are thinking about Napa Valley. So the federal Pell Grant. The Pell Grant is for undergrad students, for someone who has not earned a bachelor's degree yet. It is free money, does not have to be paid back. You have to be at least part-time. Cost of attendance, uh, it's based on your cost of attendance. Generally, most schools you're going to qualify if you have the need. We do that by filling out the FAFSA, which will be talked about a little bit later. The FAFSA is the free application for federal student aid. That's a starting place for applying for all this stuff that I'm going to be speaking of. The Pell Grant Maximum Award for the current school year is up to $5,730 a year. Next year, it goes up a little bit more. It, for the 2015-16 school year, it'll be going up to $57.74 maximum. The Supplemental Educational Opportunity Grant, or is what we affectionately call the SEOG. SEOG is for undergrad students with exceptional need, and generally it's the Pell Grant students that will get this additional small award. And I say small because it depends on a first-come, first-served basis. You'll hear about schools saying that you want to make sure you meet the deadlines that the schools have in order to be able to maximize your financial aid. This is the type of stuff that they're talking about. So the Pell Grant recipients with the lowest EFC get the priority, as it says. The SEOG can be as low as $100 per year and up to $4,000 maximum per year. But generally, you don't see too many that are that large. In fact, I've never seen it in any school. Usually, they try to spread it out and reach as many students as they can. Iraq-Afghanistan Service Grant is for students who are not Pell eligible, but whose parent or guardian was a member of the armed forces and died as a result of service performed in Iraq and Afghanistan. And there are great benefits. A lot of the, all the colleges have uh, VA benefits and VA service people that can help you at the financial aid offices. So make sure if you're not sure if you may qualify to talk to someone in the VA office or the financial aid office at the school that you're attending. Teach grant. You guys heard of the teach grant? So the teach grant is for teacher education assistance for college and higher education. It is a grant for students intending to go into the teaching field. When you get to a four-year school, this is when this comes into play. And it's a great grant, but you have to be sure that you do want to in indeed be a teacher because if you don't and you change your mind later, it turns it back into a loan. It goes from a grant to a loan. So you have to be, the schools are really good about making sure to counsel students on taking out this grant so that you're sure that's what you intend to do. But it's great to have if that's what your intent is going to be, is to be a teacher. Perkins loans. So Perkins loans are actually getting ready to go away at this point, at least temporarily. Some schools will still be using it. A lot of schools don't have Perkins loans anymore. They're low fixed interest rates, 5%. Uh, mostly the bigger schools still have Perkins loans. A lot of the smaller schools have gotten rid of them over the years because they're administratively, um, they're a lot of work for the schools. But the Perkins loan 
can be up to $5,500 a year as an undergrad and up to $8,000 a year for graduate. So the school that you're intending to go to when you fill out the FAFSA, they'll tell you if you qualify for a Perkins loan or not. Federal work study. This is always one of my favorites. So federal work study means that you get to work towards your financial aid and ideally get a college, I mean get a job on campus. The jobs go fast as anyone can tell you, but they generally pay okay, they pay pretty well, and there's also employers for off-campus too, but you have to work with financial aid, they'll tell you how to apply for work study, how to um, start the process, you do have to qualify, and uh, you get paid at least minimum wage, but most jobs I see tend to be about $10, $11 an hour, depending on the area. Definitely worth checking out. Direct Stafford loans. So loans are one of those things that if it weren't for student loans, most of us wouldn't get to go to school. It's just how it is, myself included. So there are two different types of direct Stafford loans, the main loans. There's subsidized Stafford and unsubsidized Stafford. And the basic difference between the two is who pays the interest on the loan while you're going to school. Subsidized, the government pays the interest. They help you out while you're going to school. And then for six months after you're done with school, unsubsidized, guess who pays the interest on that one? Yep, we do. So they're a little bit different. They're ones based on need. The subsidized is based on need. The unsubsidized is not. And the amounts that you can borrow are listed there, $3,500, depending on your grade level, $3,500 a year to $8,000 a year at the graduate level. And then unsubsidized is $5,500 a year to $20,500 per year at the graduate level. Then there's the Parent PLUS loans. PLUS stands for Parent Loan for Undergraduate Students. And the Parent Loan is for parents to help to pay their students' education while they're going to college. And it's for parents of dependent students. Now, some of you, if you're familiar with graduate school, you probably have heard of the Grad Plus. Grad Plus is for the student to borrow. It's slightly different. And you're responsible for all the interest the parent is. You're the borrower. And here's the key difference between subsidized, unsubsidized direct loans and the parent loans. Subsidized and unsubsidized direct loans, you don't have to, we don't check credit for students. If we did, most students wouldn't get them, right? 18 and up and just starting out. But with PLUS loans, we do check credit. There is a credit check performed, and then depending on whether you qualify, the parent can get a Parent PLUS loan to borrow to help pay for school for their, for their student. Interest rate on, on parent loans? We'll check on it, because it's been changing. That's the problem. None of this stuff stays stagnant, unfortunately. It changes. It's around 9%. We'll check on it for you, and we'll, we'll give you an answer. You think I know that, right? I won't tell you. I, I do a little bit different. I do. Robin, be quiet. Okay. Let's talk about deferments and forbearance. So deferments and forbearance allow you to temporarily postpone payments. And these are a great way, if you're having some type of issue where you can't make your payments right now, this is a great thing about federal loans. 
And I want to encourage you, a lot of people, and we see this a lot, Patty, the director of financial aid here at Napa, where, and I were talking that you want to be very careful. A lot of people will put their uh, financial aid costs on, or, I mean their school costs on their credit card and things like that. The bad part about that is, is if you can't, if you run into problems and you can't pay your credit card, your creditor's coming after you, right? Student loans, it's a little bit different. You can defer or postpone your payments until whatever it is that's going on passes. So there's in-school deferment, which allows you to defer your student loan payments while you're going to school. There's unemployment deferment, which you have to be actively seeking work, but you can defer your payments in six-month increments, and then up to three years total over the life of the loan. Economic hardship is simply that. You're having a hard time economically, and you need to put off your payments for a period of time. And then forbearance. If you don't meet any of the other criteria, a forbearance is the last option, and, it's, and it usually fills in that gap. So you can put off your payments for a period of time. So when in doubt, if you're not sure what to do, call your servicer. And I put a smiley face there for a reason. Because the servicers are very different than any other bill collectors that you will ever that you will ever deal with. Their job is to help you find a solution. Okay? Don't be afraid of them, even when they call all the time. Repayment plan options. So when you go into repayment after you go through your grace period, when you're done with school, you get six months of grace period on your loans. There are various repayment plans that you have the option of using. And again, this is something you work out with your servicer. And I always tell students to make sure, call your servicer, explain your situation, they'll tell you what your best option is. So the standard repayment is level repayment beginning to end. Extended repayment, depending on how much you owe, you may be able to extend your repayment time out to 25 years. Keep in mind the interest you'll be paying will go up too, right? Graduated repayment. Payments start lower, and then they gradually increase every two years. And then there's the income-driven plans, and that's income-based repayment, pay-as-you-earn, which you probably have heard of. Uh, President Obama has been pushing that uh, lately. Income-contingent repayment also. So when in doubt, if you're not sure what to do or what you can afford, it's always best to check with your servicer. The, the federal servicers are really very helpful. I'm going to hand it back to Joe for a minute. Thanks, Renee. And the clicker. Okay. The clicker can wait a second. Um, in addition to uh, Congressman Thompson putting these presentations on his website, uh, here in the lobby I wanted to mention, we have from U.S. Department of Ed publication, Funding Your Education, which summarizes all of the points that we've been making, a lot of the things that Renee has just gone over, and we have it both in English and in Spanish. And it's out on the table in the lobby. So I wanted to make sure you knew about that. There are myths that circulate about getting money, borrowing money. And I read a lot, I read about 20 of them in helping put together today's presentation. And these were the three or four that I thought were the most interesting. One is that only students with high grades get financial aid. A lot of people seem to believe you have to have almost an A average to get financial aid. That is purely a myth. Keep a C average going with the classes you have to take. 
and as far as grade level, uh, grades that you earn, rather, you can qualify. The myth that my parents make too much money, so I won't qualify. And in reading about it, I found out that there is no income cutoff to qualify for federal student aid. It's not about your parents. It's about you. And um, I liked one example that I was given, that even multi-multi-multi-billionaire Warren Buffett, super investor, um, or Bill Gates, or even the Giants Madison Bumgarner, financially speaking, could have kids, financially speaking, who could qualify for student loans. So remember, it's about, it's about the student. And this myth, last one that I want to mention right now, is that the form to apply is too hard to fill out. And some people seem scared of the word FAFSA, the free application for um, federal student aid. Emphasis on the word free. You do not ever have to pay anyone to fill out the FAFSA or to submit it. Do not pay anyone to do this. You're entitled to do it for free. Um, it's easier than ever. That's the website to find it. And the last year, the statistics are it takes most students less than half an hour to fill it out. So even if you want to take a stretch break, have a cup of tea, watch TV for a few minutes and come back to it, you can still do it in under an hour. So please don't be intimidated or you know, have weird feelings or anything about the FAFSA. It's a pretty simple form, honestly. Now I would like to uh, give this back to my colleague, Renee, but I want to kind of tease something that she's going to talk about because I think this is a pretty neat thing that she's going to cover, among other things. Can you imagine if there was a way that if you're thinking of which, which school to go to, that you could compare two colleges side by side and kind of a column and, and see how they line up, apples to apples, as far as graduation rate, um, other information that you might want to know? Wouldn't it be great if there was such a way to do that? Well, that's all I'll say. Renee? So the basic eligibility for qualifying for federal student aid is a student must have a high school diploma or a GED. They must have a social security number. There are limited exceptions. So if you're an eligible non-citizen, you could still qualify for federal aid. You have to be, if you're a male at the age of 18 or older, you had to register with Selective Service. And if you haven't done so, we'll do it for you, just to help you. Moms are always the one that have the problem with that, by the way. What do you mean my son has to register for selective service? Yes, we still do it. Um, it's basically the draft, if you're not sure. Uh, students also need to be enrolled or accepted for enrollment in an eligible program at an eligible participating school. And then to be pursuing a degree, certificate, or credential. And while you're going to school, big surprise, you have to pass your classes. So we call that maintaining satisfactory academic progress. So to apply for federal financial aid, you fill out the FAFSA, the Free Application for Federal Student Aid. And as Joe mentioned earlier, FAFSA.com is a big misnomer. FAFSA.com will get you all the way through the FAFSA and then want to charge you $75 to file it. So if you'll notice, the keywords in the FAFSA is free. So make sure you go to the right website, fafsa.ed.gov. 
And your eligibility is determined by the information that you provide on that FAFSA for you, the student, and the parents. And you must complete the FAFSA each year each, for each award year. Award year is July 1st through June 30th. So right now we're in the tail, let's see, we're right in the middle of 14-15 award year. Next award year will be 15-16 starting on July 1st. So here's look a little snapshot of how financial aid is calculated. So you've got the cost of education. And keep in mind the cost of education is going to be different regardless of what school or depending on the school that your student is looking at, right? The cost of education at Napa Valley is going to be different than the cost of education at USF or at Stanford or UCLA. It's all each cost of education calculation is different and it includes all those basic components, tuition of fees, room and board, books and supplies, housing, transportation, and miscellaneous expenses. Then we've got the expected family contribution, or what we call the EFC. That's what we get from the FAFSA, from completing the FAFSA. So the basic calculation at the bottom, cost of education minus the EFC equals what we call need. And that's what the financial aid officers try to cover in order to be able to allow the student to be able to go to school. So key dates. January 1st is when you can fill out the FAFSA. I almost like picture somebody back in D.C. at 12.01 midnight, <laughs> January 1st, pushing that button. Okay, there you go. But people are on there right then filling it out. Uh, you have to do it each year, as I mentioned earlier. And then March 2nd is another deadline, and that will be what uh, Patty talks about in just a second with the uh, state aid. And in California here, we have the Cal Grant program, which will be talked about. And the Cal Grant program is run by the California Student Aid Commission, and their deadline is March 2nd for both the FAFSA and submitting your GPA. And the high schools will do that, submitting the GPA. So what to expect? What happens after you apply? So the student completes the FAFSA. And I, I want to encourage for parents, and I know this is really hard because it's hard for me as a parent, but get your student involved in completing the FAFSA because you want them to be responsible. You want them to know what's going on, and you don't want to be doing it for them for the rest of their lives. I promise you. So the FAFSA is processed by federal student aid, by our processor, and the school that you indicate that you wanted to go to or you were thinking about going to gets that information. The college reviews the information, matches it up with the admissions, those people that were admitted to the school, and they in turn provide you an award letter or a financial aid offer letter, and that's how you try to figure out where you want to go or where you can afford to go, what's the best choice for your family. So what Joe was alluding to just a moment ago is the college scorecard, and this is just really getting out there, but it's a really great website. It's kind of fun because you can compare schools side by side, and you can look at five different areas. Costs, graduation rate, student loan default rate, average amount borrowed per student, and the employment outlook for graduates. Now, here's the only caveat to this one, is that it's a little bit unfair for the community colleges because the community colleges, their goal generally is to get you to complete the program or as much of it as you can, your lower division, and then move on to a four-year school. 
I did it myself. I'm a grad, I went to DVC, Diablo Valley, and then uh, University of San Francisco. So I never tell anybody that, well, except for this stuff. But it's, it's to promote, community college is a great way to go. Very affordable. So this is what the college scorecard looks like. So it kind of gives you an idea what the typical costs are for Napa Valley College. But you'll notice that $10,335 per year, it does not cost $10,335 in tuition. That cost is your whole, that whole cost of education calculation that I showed you. That's tuition and fees, books and supplies, housing. That's your big one, right? And transportation. And then it's got graduation rates. Again, going back to community colleges, their goal is to get you prepped and get you to a four-year school. So, but it's good to compare this type of information. I think it's very helpful, especially when you're starting to look at the four-year school. So going beyond this, this workshop, and as the congressman said, this presentation will be out there, but this 1-800-4-FED-AID, if you're filling out the FAFSA and you get stuck and you're not at one of the many cash for college events that, that the schools do, where they'll help you fill out the FAFSA, you can also call these folks at the 1-800-4-FED-AID number. That's a good question. Is there a drop-dead deadline for applying for financial aid? The answer is yes, but that answer is June 30th of the following year. So priority, yes, you want to get it done, but if you haven't got it done because you just decided you need financial aid, yeah, do it. Absolutely. March 2nd is a priority filing deadline for the Cal Grant. And it should be, a, ideally, we want you to get it done by March 2nd, financial aid in general anyway. That's kind of like our unofficial Goal. Thank you. Next, we'll hear from Patty Morgan, who's the financial aid officer at Napa Community College. Hi, it's great to see everybody out tonight. Um, really quick, I get at the end of the, uh, the slides. Mark February twenty-first, Saturday, ten a.m. McCarthy Library here at Napa Valley College. We are doing a Saturday financial aid event, and we have all of our staff out that will help you submit the FAFSA, will help answer any questions that you have, and we have uh, Rhonda Moore from the California Community College's Chancellor's Office who will be here to assist us, as well as Brian Dickinson from the Chancellor's Office um, who will be presenting as well. So mark that day. And flyers on the table. <laughs> All right, so um, Renee and Joe talked about uh, the grants and the loans. Um, and what we've got for financial aid for everyone, grants, loans, scholarships, fee waivers, uh, work study, um, it's a combination package of uh, financial aid to help students get through school. We have uh, federal government grants, scholarships, work study. So sources of aid. Federal government, state government, uh, private entities. Um, very often, if you look at your employers or your unions, we'll have scholarships available for your students, for your families. Um, the colleges and universities themselves also have scholarships and um, institutional grants that may be available for you. 
For most students, you're going to submit the FAFSA, and you're eligible for most types of aid. But we also have the California Dreamers. And, and the California Dream Act uh, came into being in 2013 um, and 2014 that uh, gave us some additional assistance for our students who don't qualify for types of federal aid. And so for California uh, Dreamers, we have additional aid. It's also available to all other students, but specifically for our Dreamers, Cal Grant Entitlement Grants, Chafee Grant Middle Class Scholarships, uh, UC Grants, State Grants, um, some uh, university uh, institutional grants and scholarships um, are available to those students who don't uh, meet federal criteria. So we already talked about how to apply. So we've got the FAFSA, the free application for federal student aid, and we can't say enough that it is a free application. So if your student gets to a site and they ask for money to apply, and that includes some of the sites that say, we will help you and we guarantee that you're going to get $2,625 or $5,000. And what they're guaranteeing is, is that you're going to pay them money to help you file a free application and your student is going to get a student loan. So please be aware that the free application is just that. It's free. This application is the primary application for all types of financial aid. So whether you're applying for state aid, for federal aid, for institutional aid, even some scholarships, look at the free application as your first line for uh, information. So it uses your tax information, assets, family size, um, even the age of the oldest parent in the household plays a, a factor in this because we look at how much money do we need to put aside for retirement. So the, there's a, a huge calculation that goes into um, what your eligible is be for that, that EFC or expected family contribution. The FAFSA also, because it's an online application, they've developed this over the years, so they have what's called logic and that means that as you answer questions it's smart enough to say okay we're going to go to either this question the next one in line or we're going to split skip over some of the questions because you don't need to answer them so that's an important factor with the free application when you do the online application you can also sign electronically and that means that both the parent and the student can apply for a pin which is effectively an electronic signature that means that you don't have to turn in any documents, any paper documents, no mailing. Uh, everything is done online immediately, and you get a, uh, a result back as soon as you submit. And you're going to know what your expected family contribution is. And you're going to know what your expected Pell Grant may be, or how much loan you may be eligible to receive for, uh, for uh, federal assistance. So it's very um, proactive in that regard. But also, you can list up to 10 schools per uh, FAFSA application. So you can look at 10 schools, and when you get your expected family contribution, when you submit, it's also going to give you graduation rates and information about each of the schools that your student lists on the FAFSA. So it gives you some additional information. The California DREAM Act application is for students who don't qualify for the FAFSA. Um, who are um, undocumented or underdocumented, who meet the AB 540 criteria. So the California Dream application 
would otherwise not have assistance to go to school. To apply for the California Dream application, uh, you go to the California Student Aid Commission, uh, the CalDreamAct.org. You can also get there through um, the California Student Aid Commission, um, and it'll take you to the Dream application. It is also an online application. Also asks for family income, household size, assets. Um, again, very much like the FAFSA. And uh, students get information about their eligibility um, soon after they submit. Also, electronic applications for students and parents. Um, apply for a PIN through the California Student Aid Commission. And so it mimics the FAFSA in that. Whatever schools you li that are listed on that application uh, will get receive a copy of these applications. So FAFSA, California Dream application, your school, when you list the school on the application, your school will get the application uh, once it's processed, and then will contact you and ask for additional information or provide you with some basic information about what you may be eligible for. So what is AB 540? Really quick, it's for any student, whether you have, uh, you're a U.S. citizen, an eligible non-citizen, um, an underdocumented or undocumented um, resident, the AB 540 is a way to waive non-resident tuition at California schools, the UCs, CSUs, um, and California Community Colleges. Basically, if you're a student who attended a California high school for at least three years, or you graduated early with enough credits um, to equal three years of school, and graduated from uh, at California High School, or uh, you did the California GED, um, you're going to be attending a California accredited college university. And if you're a, an undocumented or underdocumented student, uh, we'll sign an affidavit uh, for residency as soon as you are able to sign. That, if you meet that qualification, then your non resident will be waived at um, the CSU, UC, or our community college. So that means you don't have to pay that exorbitant amount. So think of it this way. You've gone to a, a, a California high school, you graduated from a California high school, but your family moves out of state. Now you've been out of state for a number of years, and, and let's say you have a um, Kansas residency. When you come back to California, you want to go back to school. But the tuition is really outrageous. You can't pay it because you can afford it. The AB 540 is for you to assist you as a former California resident and student of, of California to waive those fees so you don't have to pay non-resident tuition. So you can come in and pay uh, residency fees like uh, other California residents so that you can afford to go to school again. So CalGrant uh, uses the FAFSA or the California Dream Act, but it also requires some additional information in order to qualify. Uh, that additional information is the CalGrant GPA verification. So high schools will um, certify senior um, GPAs for high school seniors, and for high school graduates who um, uh, need a GPA but don't have enough college credit for a college GPA. Colleges will certify a GPA if a student
automatically for all students who have at least 16 degree units completed. At the high schools, uh, because the students are uh, uh, under the age of 18 normally, they also need a parent uh, signature. There is a form that students need to turn in to their high school counselor, and the high schools will submit the GPA for them. So the FAFSA, the California Dream application, and the CalGrant GPA form will apply for CalGrant. We'll go over that in just a minute. The other type of application that's sometimes is used, and it's usually at the private schools and some universities, is the CSS profile. And so that's usually some additional information uh, about your family. Um, expected income for the upcoming year. Um, if you have an absent parent, um, they're going to look at, your, at the absent parent. Um, can that absent parent contribute? So some additional information is required, and that's usually for institutional grants uh, and scholarships at universities. Uh, California Chafee Grant Program is for our foster youth. It's up to $5,000 per year to help our foster youth um, get through school and with their expenses. And then scholarship applications, and there are various scholarships. So, March 2nd, you've been hearing about March 2nd. The key to March 2nd is in order to get the most bang for your buck and the most, to get the most buck for your bank, you want to apply by March 2nd because that's where the money is coming. California high school graduates can apply for the Cal Grant with the, FAFSA, the GPA and the FAFSA, and if you meet the income and asset criteria, which for some of the Cal Grants is quite high, you're automatically entitled to a Cal Grant. The time to get that entitlement is your senior year when you graduate or the year after you graduate. That's the only time that you're going to qualify for an entitlement. So you want to submit your FAFSA before March 2nd along with a Cal Grant GPA. Special circumstances. So when you submit your FAFSA, it's you are what you are when you apply. So we're looking at, for the 2015-16 academic year, which starts in the fall, we're looking at your 2014 uh, income. So that means we're going to look at your taxes, we're going to look at your assets. But what happened if your parents lost their job? Or there was a, um, one of your parents were injured, and now that income's not there. Or there was a death in the family, not God forbid. Anything can happen that's going to reduce your income. And if that happens, you can't put it on the FAFSA because the FAFSA doesn't have a place for you to tell us about special circumstances. But your school can. And you can go to your school and you can talk to your financial aid administrator and you can tell them, these are the things that happened to my family. How can you help us? And we can make adjustments based on your circumstances that you may not have qualified based on your previous year income, but maybe now because your income has changed, you may qualify for grants or uh, uh, scholarships or work study, or maybe you qualify for a subsidized loan where before you only qualified for one. So we can assist. So we talked about cost of tenants. How much does it cost to go to school? So this is a comparison. So you're looking at community colleges, CSUs, UCs, and private and independent. So the difference between the different sectors is anywhere from $9,000 to $65,000 is the cost. Now, a lot of that is living expenses. 
housing, your travel, uh, but it also includes books and supplies and tuition. And for your CSUs, your C's, and your privates, you're going to pay more tuition. California Community Colleges, it's $46 per unit, so our, the cost to go to a community college is much lower. It's lower to go to a CSU than it is a UC, and the privates are the most so when we talk about need-based aid, we talk about how we calculate that. This is where the calculation is coming from. We're taking this cost of attendance and we're subtracting your family contribution. And the bottom line is the difference is going to be your unmet need for um, need-based types of grants. So grants, um, federal work study, uh, subsidized loans. Those are all need-based types of aid. Unsubsidized loans are non-need-based, and many scholarships are non-need-based. And a lot of schools may also have some non-need-based work study as well. California Community Colleges also have another option that, uh, that I'm hoping that everyone uh, knows about, and I'm going to make sure you know about it, and that's the California Community College Bog Fee Waiver Board of Governors. Um, enrollment fee waiver. If you meet the qualification for a fee waiver, you don't have to pay the enrollment fees. We will pay, we'll waive those for you. And the California uh, uh, community colleges um, will pay it for you. So how do you, how do you get a fee waiver? Well, if you apply for the FAFSA and your need is at least $1,104, so that's your cost of attendance minus your family contribution equals your need. If you are receiving CalWORKs, CANF, SSI, or uh, general assistance, if you have meet a specific income level, uh, all of those will um, immediately give you uh, access to the enrollment fee waiver and we will pay your fees, those enrollment fees for you. There's also um, a fee waiver for our California veterans. There's a CalVet fee waiver as well. Cal grants. So there are four types of Cal grants. Cal grant A, Cal grant B, Cal grant C, and a Cal grant in, um, transfer entitlement for the community colleges. Cal grant A pays tuition and, and fees at the university level. UCs, um, up to $12,000 little less for CSUs, and about mid-range for your private school. Usually you have to have at least a 3.0 GPA. And for the Cal Grant aid, the income and asset ceilings for families are much higher than they are for the Cal Grant B or Cal Grant C. So middle-income families are going to qualify for the Cal Grant A. So if, what happens if you're going to the community college and you're not ready to go to a UC and you get a Cal Grant A? You can put it on reserve. So up to three years, you can reserve your Cal Grant A until you transfer to a university, uh, and then that'll pay your, uh, your tuition for you. Cal Grant B is a lower-income uh, families. It pays both tuition and fees at the university as well as a grant at um, both the university and can be used at the California Community Colleges, and it pays a grant uh, community colleges. Up to four years, so freshman, sophomore, junior, senior years. So it's not 
four years. So if you go to um, the community college for three years and then three years at the university, you still only have four years of Cal Grant for those um, uh, freshmen, sophomore, junior, senior year. The Cal Grant B, again, can be used at any California school. And all of these, California schools only, you can't take this out of state. California schools only, um, but any community colleges, vocational schools, um, universities. Cal Grant C. Cal Grant C is a vocational uh, Cal Grant, and that's for community colleges, uh, vocational schools. Uh, it's for a program of two years in length or less that you're getting job skills, you're working towards finding a career, and you're not planning to transfer. Because not all students plan to transfer. Some students want to get into a career, and then maybe we'll transfer it to a university and, and, and go for their undergraduate degree at another time. The Cal Grant C pays both a uh, book and supply, so a stipend, as well as paying some tuition fees depending on the vocational school. And then the community college transfer entitlement. That's a big one. It's, it's for anyone who graduated in 2000 or later. Um, who was at a community college first um, and is transferring from a community college to a university. You have to have at least a minimum 2.4 GPA. And there are a couple of other criteria. You have to be at a California um, at college, obviously. Uh, it's a Cal Grant. Um, but there are a couple of additional criteria. But if you meet that criteria, you are entitled to that um, Cal Grant. And they will give you money to go to school to help you with your tuition. So basic eligibility, U.S. citizen, eligible non-citizen, AB 540, California resident, attended a California-accredited college, and then just meet the other specific uh, criteria. Um, only the transfer entitlement has additional criteria that the Cal Grant A, B, and C do not have. Middle-class scholarship is a new scholarship, and this is for families with income up to $150,000 a year. So this really meets that, uh, the need for that middle group of students who maybe you don't meet the, the, you don't get grants, and maybe not all the scholarships are available to you, and work study might be a little hard. The middle class scholarship meets that middle piece where you're not really low income, and you don't have enough money to pay for school. You're right there in the middle, and that's where the middle class scholarship comes in. All you have to do is submit the FAFSA. You submit the FAFSA by March 2nd. And the California Student Aid Commission is pulling those uh, FAFSAs for California residents, and they're identifying those students who qualify. It does have a minimum 2.0 GPA requirement. The California Chafee Grant is for our foster youth. Again, up to $5,000 for um, our youth to... Um, help with their college costs, living expenses, um, transportation. So if you need help, who's there? Well, you can call us. You can always call Napa Valley College. You can call your finan the financial aid administrator at um, the school that you plan to attend. But you can also call the federal government. And so there's online FAFSA help. So when you're doing the FAFSA, there's help that's uh, with each question. There's a little help section right alongside that's going to um, answer some of your questions. 
But if you can't get your, answers, uh, your questions answered with that online help, 1-800-4-FED-8. Um, write it down. Um, keep it uh, you know, in your head because they are wonderful when it comes to assisting you not only with the application and getting through it, but deadlines and other questions that you may have about um, grants or loans or work study. Um, you can also email them um, at the email address that's listed. If you need Cal Grant help, the California Student Aid Commission is available. This is their um, email address and their phone number for students. But they also have a web, uh, web grants for students, and it's on the Napa Valley College Financial Aid website. Students can actually log in, create an account, and you can look to see what's happening with your Cal Grant application, your GPA. If you're awarded a Cal Grant, you can track your Cal Grant um, through the four years uh, that you have the Cal Grant. And then, again, our information, please, doesn't matter which school you're going to, whether you're coming to Napa Valley College or any other college or university, please feel free to give us a call. We're here to help. Don't forget... We've got February 21st. We're all going to be out. Um, I hope we see you there. And now I'd like to introduce Howard Willis. Howard is the director of our Student Support Services TRIO program. Good evening, good evening. Whoa. Uh, quick show of hands. How many of you are headed uh, directly to a, or transferring to a four-year college or university, or if you're your kids. How many of you are headed here to Napa Valley College? Show of hands. Okay. And the rest? Welcome. <laughs> the bottom line is that I'm sure you're here because you're here, all of you are headed to college or your, or your students. And so what I wanted to talk about really briefly is the TRIO programs. We are a program, one of those success programs that they talked about earlier from the United States Department of Education. That's where we receive our funding. We help students that are low income, uh, first generation in, in college, or students with disabilities. Here at Napa Valley College, uh, we've been here since 97. We serve about over 2,600 students. Our goal and the way we play into the college affordability piece is really looking at that time to degree especially for those who are transferring and graduating. You've heard through the conversations about how long you can have a Cal Grant. You've heard about there's different rules and regulations and changes. Some of those things that we do, and you also heard about you need to be uh, inept on financial literacy. We do all of those things in the Federal TRIO program, primarily here at Napa Valley College uh, and actually throughout the nation because we're nationwide programs. The program here at Napa Valley College, we have one of the highest transfer and graduation rates in the nation. So if you're looking for programming once you attend here at Napa Valley College, you should look towards the Student Support Services program if you're eligible. Our programs are also nationwide. Again, we're funded by the United States Department of Education. So we have programs at four-year institutions as well as two-year institutions. We have other programs. Uh, at the four-year institutions, especially for our transfer students that are looking to go study at the graduate level at institutions that grant PhDs. So we are federal TRIO programs, and we're very proud because our congressman is on our TRIO caucus in D.C. supporting the TRIO programs. 
We also have grant aid. It's a little thing that some campuses or TRIO programs have. So another way in which we can help fund your education. If you're eligible, if you're Pell Grant eligible, selected students can receive grant aid. And that's through the program. So that's another additional bonus. But our main focus, again, is transfer and graduation. So we want to see you here. If you're looking at going to that four-year college or university, you want to seek out programs like ours uh, that's available. And again, our, our part is that we're part of the United States Department of Education and wanted to show that tie-in to you. We can answer questions uh, as time goes on because I know we're a little bit over. So we want to thank you for having us, and welcome to Napa Valley College. So um, hearing about the Perkins loans and the Stafford's loan, Stafford loans from Renee and Joe reminds me of what I had. I used to have to tell my husband when we got married that, honey, they're low interest rates. I promise they're low interest rates because he didn't quite understand that. Um, my boss is sitting right here, Dr. Uh, Sweeney, and he asked me to just real quick get a sense of the Napa Valley Unified School District students in the audience. So if we can get a show of hands, uh, Napa Valley Unified School District, Napa Vintage, New Tech. All right. Very cool. Thanks for being here. I see um, Napa High kids here. Where's Napa High? All right. Love it, love it, love it. And Mrs. Becerra, 11th grade academic counselors here from Napa High School. So hearing um, the first four presentations, this is what we do at Napa High. This is, I'm uh, Annie Petrie, Assistant Principal in Student Services, and this is our life in Student Services. Our life is supporting students to, first of all, graduate from high school, and then now what? And it's filling out the FAFSA, the Cal Grant. What I'm going to talk about, though, is our scholarship program. And uh, Myra, who is a Napa High alum, invited us to talk. And um, we actually hire a lot of people now that made it because of the TRIO program. And so it's, it's pretty cool to see now that people we hire um, benefit from these programs that we're learning about tonight. So the community scholarship, this is in your community. So these aren't federal dollars or state dollars. These are community donors. And at Napa High School, we've been giving out over $200,000 a year. And that just comes from donors within our community. So each high school, and I, are there any, is there anyone from Vintage High School here? Okay, Vintage High, yes. So Vintage High um, does the same thing, New Tech, American Canyon. So each high school has its own community scholarship program, and the application window is usually October through December. So for seniors, this happens before you're filling out the FAFSA, before you're filling out the Cal Grant form. The application is online. And um, it closes in December. And in January, when we return from winter break, our scholarship coordinators start compiling uh, the student data, and then they'll start sending out secondary applications because some applications require a secondary application. The best part for our high schools is the scholarship assembly in May because not only does it celebrate our seniors, um, their parents are so proud, um, it really brings our whole community together. We're very lucky to live in this community where people donate um, so much to education. And so the scholarship assembly is where we uh, award the scholarship. So who should apply? This is also a myth. 
that I should only apply if I'm going to a four-year, and that's just not true. So we want any senior who plans on post-high school education, whether it be trade school, community college, or four-year, should apply for local community scholarship. At Napa High School this year, we had 236 students apply um, for the scholarships. That's a little over 60% of our students. Scholarships will cover, you know, the cost of education, the tuition, the books, whatever the FAFSA and the Cal Grant doesn't cover, the scholarships can pick in and, and help out. So who picks? This is oftentimes a mystery, too, to some people. Um, there's different ways that students receive these scholarships. Um, some uh, donors uh, don't want to pick. They just say, I want the school committee to commit to pick. And that's a school committee made up of school personnel, teachers, counselors, and they go through the criteria and then they select students. Some donors say, no, we want to pick. Send me the students who um, meet our criteria, and our committee's going to pick, and, and they go ahead and do that. And then other clubs and organizations, for example, band. Um, our band boosters donates money every year, and so the students who are going to get that are typically in the band, right? So there's certain um, organizations that are pretty specific. How do they pick? The donors select criteria. And so it could be they, they want to look for kids in a particular career or grade point average or low income or middle income. They want to help that kid in the middle. Um, kids that have been involved in community service, activities, or involvement in that donor's program. For example, um, a lot of our elementary schools, Shear, Browns Valley, their PTA organizations uh, donate and they give back to kids who came from those elementary schools. Very cool. How much are scholarships worth? Um, anything, anything the donor will give, to be honest with you. But around fifty is probably the minimum, up to five thousand. So it's pretty, it's a wide range. And every year it depends on the donors um, how they are financially. So sometimes they have to adjust their their costs. But um, that's typically what um, students get anywhere in that range. Once a student gets a scholarship, um, they have to fill out a claim form. And then when, as soon as we show that they're enrolled, they send that in, the enrollment with the claim form, and then we issue the scholarship through the district office. And last, for me, um, outside scholarships. So these are not community-based. These are outside scholarships that all kids have access to. Um, what we like to do at high school, because we know our kids so well, and we get to read their applications, which, by the way, also has a, um, a place for a student to tell their story, like some of these um, other special circumstances. And those stories are what really breaks your heart when you, when you read about what our kids go through to, to just get through high school. Um, our donors, I mean, they often tear up, and so their pockets get a little deeper, so we like that. But um, outside scholarships, we really tap on kids. If we know a kid's going to be... Um, a good candidate for some of these scholarships because they're at a regional, state, and national level. And the higher up the kid gets, the more money um, they have an opportunity to win. So these are outside scholarships that we, um, we really promote. And we've had the Gates Millennium Scholars, which is very cool, up to six years of education. Um, and we've had students at Napa High get those. Um, very difficult to receive, but um, we're very proud to have kids that get that. So that's all I have for now. Thank you very much.
How about a huge thank you for this outstanding panel? Thank you all very, very much.